What's up guys? It's the Death Machine portion of Silent and the Death Machine era next. I want to thank you very much for watching this podcast first of all. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started with an amazing interview with Robbie Constant, who's obviously a very dear friend of myself and Mark's, um, there is some trigger warnings for this podcast. We will be talking about uh, sexual violence and a history of abuse uh, within family. So of course, please, if that is something that might um, be too much of a trigger point for you, please, please, please take the time to protect yourself from that. And obviously, we would suggest that this podcast is not for uh, general consumption. We would consider it to be an 18 plus podcast because of the graphic details that I mentioned on that. But we'd also like to send our love again and thank you to Robbie for sharing his story. This podcast is obviously very important and it's something that we've taken the time to look over and make sure that Robbie's life is presented in the right way. Um, just to let you guys know, because we didn't get a chance to touch on it during the podcast, Robbie, of course, is the promoter and owner of CWP, Charity Wrestling Promotion. And of course, anyone who knows me will know how important that is to me. Uh, that is where I got one of my first big breaks in professional wrestling. And even though I don't get a chance to work there anymore, it's still very near and dear to my heart. They have a show called Wrestle Jam. It will be on April 30th. Now, tickets will be available via a QR code, and we highly recommend you check out at CWP Charity across all social media. That is their handle across all of them. Uh, follow them and keep an eye on their details because obviously they will be letting you know in due course about ticket details. But, like I say, April 30th, it's called Wrestle Jam. Great riff on Space Jam. They're going to be raising money for Hampshire Autism, which is a fantastic charity. So we highly recommend you get down there and check it out. Tickets are incredibly affordable, super cheap. Just £10 for adults and £5 for under-16s for children, which is really cool. And all proceeds will be going towards Hampshire Autism. So it's definitely something to check out. Now, it's based in Southampton in the United Kingdom. It's going to be at the Oasis Hub, Lord's Academy Hill School, Lord's Hill Academy School, excuse me, in Southampton. So make sure you do check that out. But, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, obviously, some very important topics that are discussed on this podcast, some very extreme matters. And obviously, if you are affected by anything that has been mentioned in this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact the appropriate numbers, the appropriate people, and we will provide numbers and services of uh, companies uh, slash you know help groups, whatever it might be, including ones that Robbie mentions, and which will no doubt be of great use to you. Nobody has to suffer alone when it comes to the journey of life, whatever kind of domestic or sexual violence might be sent their way. However, ladies and gentlemen, that's enough from me. We now present to you a wonderful and very honest conversation with our good friend, Robbie Constant. Thank you very much for watching. Let's get fucking going, shall we? Quickly. <laughs> Who would like to do the intro then? <laughs> um, you do the intro, just because you know Robbie um, better. Uh, although I will preface this, that this is a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about Obviously. a lot of things that may... Yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot of things that may trigger people emotionally and um, with lots of different things. If you are of a nervous disposition, if anything we talk about today um applies to you or if you have any problems with it get in touch with us get in touch with people um they are there for you but uh nicks go ahead uh yeah thank you very much mark i appreciate that and obviously whatever mark has said I obviously reiterate we'll also provide helplines as well for people if there's uh you know topics that are extremely triggering if there is 
Um, if Robbie, who I know for a fact, is incredibly strong and giving us our time tonight, um, if any of this at any point um, does sort of inspire you to kind of get in contact and talk about what's happened and maybe, you know, find more strength and, you know, for reports and things of that nature, there's a lot of incredible uh, numbers and people that can speak to you and help you in that regard and we'll provide as many of those as possible. Um, so, yeah, and obviously we're always at your disposal. So, obviously, you know, this is Silent and the Death Machine. <clears throat> I am Silent. He's the Death Machine. Wait, no, the other one. Um, he's not very silent. I am silent big. Um, I'm big and kind of brown and oh. I'm bearded and oh, I've got a massive brown. Cock. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. But, yeah, less said about us, the better, because we have our first guest, uh, like Marcus said, a lot of trigger warnings, but Robbie is obviously a very close friend of mine and he's obviously a friend of Mark's as well, even though they haven't met personally. You don't need to meet Mark personally to know how wonderful he is. If anything, these three screens give you the evolution of Pokemon, really, don't they? <laughs> I'll leave it I'll leave it up to you, really, which uh, who's who, who's evolved the fullest. But I can definitely tell you it's not me. <laughs> so um I do look yeah. like a child. Out of the three of us, I do look like the kid. Yeah, you are like the giant man baby. Like you, you, yeah. Me and Robbie could adopt you, couldn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. It does it, look like I'm an offspring of you both. That's, that's alarming in every sense. I feel bad for you. Um, but yeah, it is. So all the is. listeners out there, just imagine both of them going at it. Probably not the best thing to talk about, really, with the topic and the subject. But thank you very much for bringing the I tone knew down. It was gonna happen. That's always silent, Mark. Right? Oh, oh, I knew oh, it was gonna happen. If there was anyone going to fuck this up, it was going to be me. Of course it was, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, um, that's Silent Mark. As you know, I'm the Death Machine, Aaron Nix. Our guest is, of course, uh, a well-renowned professional wrestler, amongst other things. Uh, well, you know, depends how you look at it, but he is the owner of CWP Charity Wrestling Promotions in Southampton, which obviously is very near and dear to my heart. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's also a very, very cool human being. Don't believe everything you hear on the Wrestle Plug. Just half of it. But um, yeah, Robbie wanted this time to talk about, uh, you know, things that had happened to him when he was younger and also just to generally sort of put himself out there, uh, which I think is incredibly admirable in the first place. It's something that is not easy for everybody to do. So, Robbie, welcome to Silent and the Death Machine, you poor bastard. Um <laughs> Take it away, bruv. Whatever you want to get off your chest, we are here to speak. And by the way, at any point, if you need to take time for yourself, just let us know. We can pause it. It's not an issue. And everyone at home will no doubt understand. And if they don't, well, you can fuck off because <laughs> you're not welcome here. <clears throat> yeah, no. Um, well, it's, it's, I mean, I've been listening to you guys since the very first show that you guys did. Um, and I even I said to you, Nick, that it's really refreshing that it's not anything to do with wrestling side of it because all three of us are in the business it takes over what we do especially when we've all got a show coming up um and it's just nice to you know watch something or listen to something that is just you know like hints of it but away from that side of things and something that you can relate to like everyone every single show that i've watched so far is relatable in one way shape or form um and i think that's that that hits more um pro points with me which is why i wanted to come on because i know i did the bbc one but that was that was different i felt like they kind of they didn't tap into what i truly wanted it to be um because they they did home in a lot of the wrestling side of it um and that's nothing to do with it you know this is not you know good or bad or whatever but this isn't the wrestler me this is me me Mm -hmm. like this is who i am and and 
I wanted to share and and relate a tragedy that happened when I was young that still affected me now, somewhat 35 something, whatever it is, years later. Um, and like I was saying before, I feel like there's not enough there's there's not enough people that speak out over it. Um, and I've, especially men as well, because everyone that we're all cavemen at the end of the day, we all want to be like grr and tough and all manly or the crying like crap. But I think there needs to be more. Um, if you're a victim, uh, whether it's you know abuse of a child or whether it's it's domestic abuse or whatever, you need that support unit. You're only going to get that support if you talk to people. If you bottle it all up like I did, then you realise that at some point in time it's too late. And I was like a pressure point. And eventually, which obviously we'll, we'll delve into, um, I got to the stage where it blew. Um, and it blew all in the wrong reasons. Um, and it was, you know, it was kind of nearly the wrong outcome. Um, and this is why I want to kind of share what happened to me. And hopefully, even if this only relates to like one person and it helps that one person to go, I can do something now. I can pick up the phone or, you know, they can, if it's people we know, they can contact me, they can contact you guys. We'll put them in the right direction so that they, I said it on that last one, don't let your past affect what you do in the future. And I've learned that the hard way. Um, and, it, and it's still affecting me now. But I just want, you know, I, I want to be able to share it once and for all and, and go into detail about it, like, not to sort of like publicize it, but to kind of just get it out there and just say, look, this happened to me, but it didn't change who or what I wanted to become. Um, mm. And victim doesn't, people have a, a weird thing with the word victim. They think, oh, I'm a victim. So that's the path I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You don't need to do that because if you play, if it, not play, but if you, if you become the victim, then the person or persons or event that happened to make you a victim as one and that's why i thought you know what fuck you are you allowed to swear on it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you allowed to swear on it have you fucking watched this <laughs> yeah well yeah i well, know but you two are not the host aren't you it's different um but yeah do i can't fuck thought, you on yeah, fucking great um i kind of like i just thought you know what fuck you you're not gonna win you're not gonna beat me and it, and it took me years and i mean years to get over like just not becoming like um because it wasn't just that the child had one event that happened it was like a catalog of things um mm. and you know it's like we made jokes in the family before about my upbringing being like a Jeremy Carl show um but it, it kind of was you know it was like but I kind of I put all that into one sort of box in my head locked it and then never thought about it again and I thought that was the right yeah. thing to do. Turns out when you get older, yeah, it's the wrong thing to do because that's what backfired and that's what caused me to have PTSD, um, which I've done a lot of looking into because I never knew I had it. Um, and it's it's helped me now to kind of like understand why sometimes people may either take me the wrong way or they see me in the wrong light or you know they think oh you know even at work like they think oh you're just a movie bastard and it's like well no but unless you've got it or you've been through it then you don't fully you know understand what PTSD does to you as a person and mentally and what it actually puts up it, it's, it does get a hold of you 
um, and it makes you react differently to stressful events. Um, and even now, I still have the occasional, you know, like mental relapse over it and everything. But I've learned now to not be that person I used to be. Because um, I went down a very, very dark path. Like, as I was growing up and I got older and I realised that, because I, I just had hatred. Like, throughout my whole um, adolescent life, teenage life, I had a major chip on my shoulder. I just, I hated everyone. Um you know, and, and it all stems from that one event. That's what sparked it all off. Um, and then when I finally, you know, kind of like a, a light went off in my head, um, you know, this is not how you're supposed to live. Um, and then I chose to go down a different path and then started doing things, you know, better. And then it weren't until I actually did that BBC one. That's That was the first time I'd ever actually publicly, I mean, I know you're in front of a camera, but, you know, publicly spoke about what happened because i've only ever told like mm. in depth i've only ever told one person and that's my wife um and even even now sometimes if you see it on a you know i don't know a tv program or something some i mean a lot of the time i can deal with it but sometimes i still have to kind of either make an excuse go out the room or you know pretend i'm going to the toilet or something or just look the other way mm. um because every now and again it will just spark that little trigger off and it's that little trigger that you have to kind of try and not forget because you'll never forget and anyone who says oh you can put that down to the past was a past I've had people say like this while I don't really do a lot of family anymore but I've had people say like yeah but that was when you were a kid you're an adult now and like it's not going to change you know your mental well-being over it or how you looked at it or you know how you think um but yeah so th th this is why I, I kind of went on a little bit but when I get nervous I kind of wrap on <laughs> No, um, it's right. fine. It's absolutely yeah. fine. Let's go back to the beginning for a second. Mm -hmm. So obviously, we're, I say obviously, hopefully people have realised by now where we are talking about uh, abuse and child abuse. For you, I mean, I, again, I don't know how much you want to get into that side of it, but one question I've got for you is when did you realise what was happening? What do you mean? When did I realise that what was happening is wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the answer, I think, like, uh, I mean, just for context, if you don't mind me jumping in, Mark, like, is one particular incident which uh, Robbie has spoken to me about. Um, he did it on a, it, Robbie sort of brushed over it briefly on a WrestlePlug podcast when I first interviewed him many moons ago now. Um, and, uh, but this is obviously a chance to be more cathartic with it. But I suppose um, what Mark's saying is like, sort of take us back to kind of, the because I know the incident itself and what happened there, but it's it's the build up to it. And obviously, please only divulge what you're comfortable doing, mate, at this point. Um, but obviously, you know, <clears throat> there must have been a circumstance that kind of built to it because you had a somewhat of a relationship with the person that this incident unfortunately occurred with. Yeah, so um, and obviously this is the first time I've actually properly, you know um gone into detail about it but um basically like I've got three older brothers and we were we were living in a little village called Stroud which is just outside of Gloucester um and there's not a lot to do to be fair it's it's like fuck, fuck nowhere and nobody really you know um this is not a lot to do when you're growing up as a kid you either you either get set upon by gangs or you're in one or you just become a tearaway um and I was always that little 
because I'm the youngest out of all three, I was always that little scorny little, you know, just basically a pansy. The run to um, the lip. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, I was really tiny. Like, even at 10 or 12, I was, like, so small. It was unbelievable. Um, and one of my other brothers, um, obviously, I won't mention anyone's name, um, but they they were basically, like, little shits at school. Um, they got kicked out, and I don't know how it started. Um, I think he knew of him, like, the guy in question. Um I'm not sure if he was like a for I think he was a former art teacher or something, or something like that. But my brother was like a really good artist. Like he could draw anything, like especially cartoons and shit. And I was crap. Like I couldn't even barely write, let alone draw. And I was always envious. Like there was always that one thing that I just wanted to be able to do well, um, to be able to fit in with the others. So this guy, because obviously my brother was off school, this guy used to come round the house. Um and it was in like a cold out, traditional, you know, old fashioned council house. Um, and he used to home teach my brother like art, because this guy was like a semi-pro artist or something. Um, and I used to, when I was not doing anything, I used whether it was after school or weekends or whatever, I used to like sit in like quietly in the corner and watch like these artist lessons to see if I could pick up stuff. Um, and this guy had ended up, um, I mean, my old man didn't really give a shit because he was just a you know, um, dickhead anyway. Um, but my mum, like, he befriended my mum. You know, they all got on and he used to come around all the time for, like, dinners and whatever. And he kind of become that... You know, you like, when... back in, I say back in the old days, where it, it literally was. Um, when you kind of, like, you have that family friend that's... You, you treat him as, like, a surrogate uncle type thing. He's not really your uncle, but yeah. you call him. Do you know what I mean? He became that eventually. And I remember one day in particular, my, my brothers weren't in. Um, and he come round and said, I was meant to be taking him out to um, teach him how to paint like, a lake or some shit on them. Um, and I just said, oh, well, they're not here. Um, and he said, well, do you want to go? Because I can teach you how to, you know, see. he can make you see like what colours were there that you can't see. Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, um, I didn't really have anything to fear because we knew him as uncle whatever. Um, so in Stroud, there's like it's very raw. Um, you know that's what they call it, Stroud Valley. So there's there's loads of playing fields, loads of hills, old castles, you know, well. So we go to this one in particular. Um, wasn't massively far away, but as a kid, it's like the end of the road. Seems like a hike, you know what I mean? Um, and we go to this lake, and, and you know, he it was legit. He started showing me how to paint a lake and all that crap, and then. Um, all I remember is that there was a huge cornfield, and this is the one thing still to this day at my age, and I'm 40 now, that I still can't look at. Like if I'm if I'm on a bus or if I'm in the car, I can't. If there's one over there, I can't look it. I have to look at one. So there was this big cornfield, and he said, "Oh, why don't we go in there and I'll show you how to find colours in corn and because there's different shades and all that sort of stuff." And I was like, "Okay." Um, you know, impressionable, sort of gullible child. Um, and we goes in and it it felt like we'd just been walking through this poxy cornfield, as I was thinking, for hours. I mean, it probably wasn't, but it felt like that. And I remember where I was so short and small, all I could just see, like, left, right, up, down, was just foots of corn. And there was like these little pathways in between where obviously, you know, I don't know, <laughs> however they grow. Or whatever. And I remember him saying, 
um, you know, oh, I need to sit down for a minute. So he sat there like me. So I thought at first, I, was, I think I was like either 10 or 11. Um, I kind of thought, well, this is a bit weird because like we're in the middle of this popsy cornfield and like, that's all you can see and I can't see anyone. And you decide to sit on the floor, which I thought was a bit random. And I remember I had shorts and a t-shirt on because it's quite, uh, I mean, it was like a summer's day, it was quite hot. And he started just talking about, you know, like um, sexual activity and stuff and like what you like and all this sort of thing. And I thought, at first, I thought it was a joke because my brother's like, being not so much the older one because he kind of buggered off, but being three, three brothers, like three lads, you're always like, the older ones were always talking about, oh, you know, this girl's bits or that girl. Or, but, you know, when you're young, it's, you know, you're going through puberty. That's all you ever think about is football, smoking, drinking or sex. Um, and I just thought it was a bit of a, a wind-up. I thought he's oh, just mucking around. He's just being a dickhead, you know. Um, and I, I remember saying, like, dude, I'm 10. Like, well, <laughs> this is, like, boring. <laughs> I want to, like, go back to the computer at home or something. Um, and then that's when it started getting really weird. And, you know, he was doing a lot of, like, putting his arm around me type thing, which I thought was a bit strange. Um, but, again, you know, we grew up in a local, um, like, town village pub. And like when everyone had started having a few, everyone used to like start hugging each other or they were arguing or fighting and then making up again. It was, I got brought up in a local village pub. Um, and then that's when it took a bit of a turn because I remember he pulled my shorts down and I thought, oh, you dick, what are you doing? And then I thought, it, again, it was just mucking around or whatever. So I went to pull them back up and that's when he basically like, I mean, I can't even say it like fully, but I remember that's when he threw me on the floor face down. Um, and basically, but I obviously I know now, but at the time I didn't. And that's when he raped me. Um, and I remember I had like scratches up here. I had, um, I had like bruises, obviously on my behind. I had grazies all over my knees and like kind of like on that part of my hand where I was like trying to claw my way away um and then I remember I went to sorry before he threw me down I remember when he'd done the, the, the shorts things and sort of tried to touch me I remember I because even as a little kid I was still quite feisty and I remember I threw a punch over and I remember I, I really remember that I, I threw a punch over because I think he crouched down so he's quite a big guy like this guy was freaking huge compared to me um and I remember he caught my my fist um and all I remember is him just having like bare mitts for hands and they literally went over my fist and all I remember just feeling was shit because his whole hand just closed my entire hand and he was squeezing it that hard that I literally felt like I you know I'm gonna like damaged my hand it, now looking back it felt like he was breaking my hand but at the time you're you're like 10 or 11 you don't really think of stuff like that um and then it all kind of went a bit blurry obviously during um and then all I remember is I was just crying and screaming and you know um doing what you would expect someone would do like whether you're a kid or not um and I remember he just got up and just basically said to me while I was still facing the dirt type thing um that no one's going to believe you because your family's all fucked in the head anyway because we were quite my family was quite renowned for being the sort of like dingle type thing if you know if they're like village um 
And he said, like, your dad's not going to believe you. Your mum's not going to believe you. Um, and if you tell anyone, then I'll come back and either do it again or I'll kill you. And I genuinely believed at the time that that could, that could probably happen. Um, and I was fucking petrified. And then literally, even that young of an age, um, he just got up and fucked off. Like, literally, I just never never saw him ever again. And I'm now in a situation where I'm like, you know, a 10- or 11-year-old is now in the middle of fucking nowhere. And I didn't even know where we were. That was the scary part as well, is that I didn't know where I was. And, and I'm just feet upon feet of cornfields. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I remember I laid there for like, what probably, it felt like it was hours, but it probably wasn't. It was probably like more minutes. But at the time you think, fucking hell, I've been here like, you know. And I remember I sorted myself out. And um, I remember I just, I shat myself that much that I just ran. And I and I just, I, I went like fucking Usain Bolt. I just, I just burned it all the way through these cornfields, like knocking corn out of the way, like everyone. And then I remember I, I sort of found a, um, sort of like a farmhouse that was just, it must've been like the farm's land or something. Um, and I remember I knocked on the door and and I I sort of felt like I went to say it, um, but I couldn't sort of talk. Um, and I just said, oh, I'm lost and fell over and everything else. And the the, the woman that owned the house and I presume farmer now, I don't know, um, they asked me where I lived. And I always knew what my address was because um, we lived on, this like big hill so it was, it was called uplands it was quite easy to like find and i sort of said that's where i lived and they said you're quite it's too far to walk and i was like i can't make out i don't know where i am but like how far are we? and then it turns out that um it wasn't as far as i thought but um if you didn't know where you were going then it would have been even further so they actually drove me back home um for like safety um, now I'm sure had I told them what happened, they would have gone straight to the police because they were a really nice old couple, you know, they were a proper traditional farmer people. Um, but I just couldn't, I couldn't say it, you know. Um, and I remember when I got home, like it was just my mum that was there, um, and she sort of said to me, "Oh, what can I have you done?" Like because there was like sort of, I don't know whether it, it must have been his nails or something, but there was like scratches down here and at the back, and then like my knees were all messed up, you know. Um, and she said, have you been fighting? And I, and I and I sort of went to say what had happened, but then even at that young of an age, like my dad was one evil, horrible person, um, and he drummed it into us at a young age that, um, you know, if you go down in a fight, you're a pussy, or, you know, a man needs to be with a woman, and, um, you know, there's no such thing as, or like, gay people or anything like that, because that's what he was like. He was just completely stupid. Um, and I felt, and all I kept, I, I went to say it, and then all I kept thinking was, what if he kind of doesn't believe me, or if he blames me, or thinks that I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not whatever, or I don't know, because I didn't even know what actual, you know, any of that sort of stuff was at that young of an age. Um, but I kind of. I remember sort of going to say it and then I kind of just paused and then just burst out crying and then and I just said I got into a fight because that happened on a daily basis like I got beat up all the fucking time every time I went down the street so um you know because there was a lot of bullies that lived in our area so I just said oh so and so beat me up again and my mum believed it because it was kind of like an every week or every day occurrence so she kind of just let it go 
And I remember I went and sort of had a bath and things like that. And I remember just sitting in the bath, just literally I could not stop shaking or crying or anything. Um, and then I just remember just going to my room and just staying there. Um, and then I did, back in them days, it's like, you know, people say now, like, why didn't you talk to anyone? It's like, you don't get it. It's like, we're talking early 90s, like-ish. There, there wasn't the magnitude of help and support that there is now. Um, and also back then, it was like, our old man was so much of a, you know, would beat you up type thing every weekend that he got pissed. Um, or he'd like beat my mum up and make you watch it because he thought it would make you stronger. Um, the old bill and social services and that, but they was always round our house, like every other weekend. It was kind of like an everyday thing for them. So I felt like I don't know how to sort of bring myself to sort of say it. So I just kind of just got on with every other day then. And then, you know, as each day went on, you kind of got a little bit better about covering it up and ignoring it and then not thinking about it. And then, um, yeah, eventually before you know it, three decades have gone past and you're thinking why am I so fucked up now <laughs> um and that's as a result is I kept it quiet for over three decades but that was not to try and you know um oh, what's the word? like protect anyone else but me um because even I think that kind of it kind of warrants why I spent I mean the old man thing was I just didn't want to be around him so this is where I found rest. This is this sounds really weird, but this is the only bit of wrestling I'm gonna sort of mention, but it is relevant. Um I then spent majority of my childhood in my bedroom watching VHS tapes of WWF. Because my old man was a major fan. So he used to buy all the, you know, the the proper box like VHS tapes that came out where it's like Monday Night Raw volume one to whatever it was he had about 300 uh, VHS tapes of different pay-per-views and whatever I then spent my entire childhood sat in my room my mum brought me a portable TV with a VCR built in you know those old fashioned shitty things I had one of them and that was it and I just went through each video every other day or every every after every evening when I come home from school I'd watch wrestling and that was the only thing that took my mind off of the nightmares and the shit that you know was going through my head because all I kept every time the lights went out all I kept seeing was him like that's why I became so petrified of and people around me and the dark I just and this was like growing up even into sort of like um not so much early teens but that kind of borderline from childhood to sort of adolescent um even then i would still just sit in my room and just watch you know wrestling uh, videos and then eventually it became easier to ignore it all because my mum i think realized that i was going to go down a wrong path if we stayed where we were so we up sticks and moved 250 odd miles away to weymouth and then i moved to weymouth when i was about 14 i think and then that was hard because it was just me and her. Um, and even then, I just had so much hatred built up inside me. It was crazy. I couldn't get on at school. I hated school. Like, I even left school early, and the teachers didn't care. Like, you're supposed to leave at 15, uh, 16. I left at, like, 15. And I remember we were sat in front of the, the whole school when it was our leaving day, and the headmaster was stood behind me, and he actually said, you're not 16, are you? I was like, no. 
And he went, okay. And just ignored it. And they just let me go early because they just couldn't put up with what I was becoming. Like I became the bully, which just mortifies me to say it now, but I would go to school and just purposely pick a fight so that either I would beat someone up and get the aggression out or somebody would get the better of me and beat me up so that I could then feel physical pain rather than all the emotional and mental pain because that to me was worse because I couldn't stop that. Um, And then it just got better to ignore it. And then obviously when you get to an adult, you move on with your life. And then eventually I kind of just snapped and... I can't remember who found out. I mean, I actually, I would, actually it was with my wife now. Um, I was just horrible. Like, the shortest of shortest fuses. Like, um, when we lived on Portland, we had quite a, a big house and everything, landed on our feet with it. Um, and on the top floor, there was like a, an annex that the previous owners had for their mum. And I remember I built a gym in the living room of the annex. And I thought, third floor, right? no one's going to hear me. I can do my workout and everything else and this is how bad I was like we would get into an argument and instead of like you know we've all been there we've all had arguments with our spouses or you know wives or whatever I would go up to the the gym and just annihilate it like I was throwing and and it's not me being big in it because I'm still ashamed of it but I was literally picking up multi-gyms with one hand and just launching it across the ring because that's how mental I become and that I all I saw was just red mist and then the self-harming phase came and I was constantly cutting myself up all the time. And, um, you know, I'd, I mean, obviously the, the, the whole point of this is to be brutally honest, but I was, um, I was smashing mirrors, you know, just to get the glass out. And then I was just, you know, tearing chunks out myself. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually I plucked up the courage to actually go to a GP and I basically relived everything. Um, and it was then that he said, we need to test you because I think you've got PTSD. Um, did all of that. And then it turns out that I had it really bad and didn't know it. Um, and then they put me on one of those uh, like 16 step program PTSD special counseling thing or something. To be honest, it didn't work for me. Um, the person that was doing it wasn't, I thought, not being horrible to them, but they got all their experience out of the book, um, which, all right, I get learn and get better but he was younger than he looked younger than I did and it had never and, and I even said to him has this ever happened to you like personally and he said no and I said well I don't want to be horrible and I don't want to sound like I'm being a bit of a prick but what makes you think you know where the fuck I'm coming from like what makes you think you know what I'm going through each and every day um and don't want to be like it anymore and every time I see red I see that fucking person and it got so bad that I even um when I got to like an adult um I think I was like I can't remember what age I was I mean I was like early 20s or something like um I actually went back to Stroud which I, I don't normally go up there I kind of avoid going back there now um but I actually went there and with one goal in mind and that was to hunt this guy down I wasn't going to kill him because saying you're going to do that to someone and actually physically doing it is a different ballpark because you, you need a lot of guts to be able to even do that, even if you hate the person, because it's quite a big thing to do. But, you know, I'm not proud to admit it. I did go tooled up and I was going to fucking own. Like, I was going to fucking torture the bastard. 
um, because I felt that was the only thing that I could do to release all the what I felt was like demons within me because of what happened. Well, when I got there, it was a year after I'd already died. And I think that, even though that was kind of a saving grace for me, because it meant you're now not going to, I see it now, it, it was probably my the, the one thing that positive that could have happened for me, because had I had come face to face with him and I was physically in a different place, um, you know, and I, I, I could handle myself and I can handle myself, um, I would have just blown and I would have fucking, I would have hurt him. Because um, that's all I wanted to do was just, make him feel how I felt for the last 20 odd years. Um, and then obviously, you know, after doing a bit of investigation, found out he snuffed it about a year before. And I was just like, <laughs> and I think that kind of made me worse because then when I come back, I was still in Weymouth then. So obviously when I come back, I was just like, what do I do now? And, and in a way, I think that's why I never told anyone because I just thought, there's no there's there's no way of proving it now because he's not here anymore. And I wanted mm. justice. I wanted the fucker to rot in some grotty little prison where people were just torturing him every day. But obviously that's never gonna happen. And it never came out either because I looked at old news clippings and things like that. Because where it's like a little village, if, if I remember once there was one guy that he always thought was a he looked like a fucking pedophile, to be fair. Um, and I think people thought he was. Um and when they found out he actually was, he lived in like a little sort of caravan at the back of a school, which is actually our school, um, in a car park. And I remember the the, the guys that lived in, in the, the town centre actually went and torched his caravan and didn't know whether he was in it or not. Now, I don't know if he was in it or not, because obviously, you know, we weren't there, but they literally burned his caravan to the ground, wherever he, where he could have been in it, I don't know. Um, but that's how strong they all felt, because they were all very old-fashioned. It was a very old-fashioned little village. <clears throat> You couldn't be like that and get away with it. Like, you know, it's not like, and in a way, I think this is why I I try to even, I don't know why, but I, I've done like some weird jobs over the years. And I even worked in the probation services for a bit and didn't last very long. Um, because I was in it, that was actually down here. I was actually um meant I just took the job because it was security, but I didn't know that it was actually a halfway house. And I thought, okay, well, that's fine, because they're all just gonna be like. I don't know, being naive, they'd be like gangsters or whatever. Turns out, like, 98% of the people that lived there were pedophiles. And I couldn't deal with that, because you had to read their, uh, what do they call it, sort of like rap sheet, their, like, history. And, and I was sat there, and I, and I was tensing up, and I and you have to deal with these guys. Like, their job is to look after these guys, whereas all I want to do is just drop a nuke on a lot. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I can't handle any of that now. And it's just like, I mean, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have been, um, I don't think not having it done to you would make me feel any differently. I was always anti against, you know, kids being, because I went through all my childhood with like, I mean, obviously now I know it's still a form of abuse, but back then it was just the norm for me. Like your old man would come home every night, take his belt off, whip the fuck out of here. Um, my mum used to lock us in our bedrooms on a Friday night because um, we had like a really old house where you could actually lock the old wooden doors and then when he'd come home from being all pissed up and everything he'd start beating her up and then he'd come up and you could be asleep and he'll boot the door in and just start pumbling the shit up now obviously now I know well that's that's abuse too um, whereas back then as you were a kid 
didn't fucking know any of that. He just thought, well, well done. You know, you, you didn't know. Um, you know, he used to make you sit there. And I remember being like six and he'd make you sit there and watch really graphic horror films because he said it will toughen you up because you'll win. Um, and I think that, in a way, I think that's why, I can't remember who it was, but somebody hit the nail on the head about um, the perception that people take of me personally. Um, and, and I never thought about it. And so I can't remember the person, it might even have been that BBC guy, I'm not sure, um, that said, you've always done jobs that need strength rather than brain. Because also I spent 20 odd years in security. Um, you do wrestling, which is, you know, character based, which is not really you when you're there. Um, you went through a process of putting tattoos on your body to cover up your body, which is kind of one of the reasons why I started. Um, and he said, it's all a facade to the outside world. They think you're fine. But in retrospect, it was it was just putting on like a coat of arms. I, I said it to, to the last guy, like, in a way, that's why I kind of started the whole wrestling side of it is because I didn't want to be me at that time. I wanted like, because when you're inside that ring, like people don't get it, but you don't act like you. You like, I mean, obviously you guys understand this because you do it, but you, you take on that persona of somebody else and nobody in that crowd knows what happened to you as a child. They're just there because they paid the money and they want to cheer your boot. And it wasn't until I'd done that BBC, and I was shitting myself when I'd done that BBC thing, because like being a bit of a naive twat, I didn't realise that it was actually going to go out on, like, I thought it'd be like some fucking weird bloody 10 o'clock programme or something that people ain't going to watch. I didn't know that it was going to go out uh, like actual national news. Um, and it actually overtook the, um, on, on on the BBC website, actually, the guy sent me the clip in. It was the, um, it overtook Boris Johnson at one point um, when he was popular. <laughs> um, I think it was when he was just getting in. The viewing and the rating took over him, that whole news bulletin that we did. Um, and I would, I've got that one accolade where I can say, well, I took a real fucked up negative, you know, thing and kind of tried to turn it into somewhat of a positive. And that's why I wanted to do this now because, I want people to know that even though it still messes me up, you know, from time to time, because like I said earlier, I still get nightmares. I still, you know, I'm 40 years old and I still wake up from nightmares. Um, I still, to this day, can't go anywhere near a cornfield. Um, and, you know, I can talk about it now and I can, I can put up with it if it's on the news or whatever. Um, but I know when I said, it was too late for me. What I meant was when I did that one is that it was too late because justice hadn't been done. And I think that's what made it worse because I left it way too long. And I think if it's happened to someone, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. Um, you need to pluck up the courage to go and talk to somebody, even if it's a friend, a relative, you know, whoever, because that one person might be, might not be the right person at the time, but they will know what to do, especially if you're a child. Like, because children see, children's eyes are so much different to adults. Like, they don't see what we see. They don't understand what we understand. And even though I'm not like the greatest father on the planet, which I'm not, I know I'll be hands up to. Um, my eight-year-old now, um, 
he doesn't see things the way that I would have had it. Um, and you have to take that into consideration. So it's like, I'm trying to show him now what you can be if you put more effort into stuff and, you know, the whole sort of what a normal, I suppose, decent human being, like a parent would, would teach their kids. But if they are that young, then they need to be able to tell an adult, especially if they're like, you know, 10 or 11 or whatever in their primary school, like just tell someone because that one person that you tell will know the right people to tell. And then hopefully it's like a domino effect, isn't it? Like, you know, and then you get the help that you need, which is going to benefit you in the long run. But then also, the per- and I'm a big founder of this, the person that or persons that have done it don't get away with it. I let the person that done it to me get away with it. And that's what bums me still to this day. And I know everyone's going to say, well, you know, he died, so it's not like, but it's, that wasn't good enough to me. I, I feel like, because he probably died of some natural, fucking, I don't know, heart attack or something. It's like, to me, that that wasn't enough. And I know it might piss people off, but it's like, it's not enough. I wanted him to be in a court and actually, you know, have it all said what he'd done. Because it might not have been just, and it probably wasn't just me, to be fair. There was probably other people that he'd done it to. Yeah. And I think that's what messed me up the most. Because I never said anything about it at the time, because I was too fucking petrified to say anything, how many more people did he fucking do it to after me? And that's what brought on all the PTSD and all the anger issues and everything else, because I blamed myself for my entire life. Um, and still now, at 40 years old, I'm still like, why didn't I just, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, why? But the young person inside you said, because you were petrified and you were more petrified that no one would believe you. Um, and I think that's why I'm trying to do this, not kind of like, I don't know what you call it, um, sort of publicity for it, but I feel like, more people need to come out whether they're young old male female it's irrelevant like nobody should be a victim and it's not just sexual assault it's not just child abuse it could be anything even if even like the other day i was talking to my wife about it like even blokes that are in abusive marriages or whatever and they're you know um you always hear about the blokes are beating up the woman or i mean i lived it you know it's you never you hardly ever hear of it the other side because blokes don't want to admit it they're vulnerable and that's all it is. Like, blokes do not want to go to someone and sit down and have a heart to heart because it's the whole caveman bullshit. It's like blokes don't want to do it because they, they'll feel like, well, I'm not a man now because I've crawled. The amount of times I still, to this day, still cry when I wake up from a nightmare or, you know, I see something at work or something or I drive past something that reminds me of what happened. And I have to physically bottle that all up and then occasionally you know um something half hour will happen and my missus will ask me are you okay and and that's all she's got to do and then it just comes out <laughs> um but there's not enough people that actually go and seek the help that they need because if you're young it will help you in the long run and and even if you're like if you do what i did and kept it quiet for so many years and then think oh it's too late now well, you know i am what i am it's like no, it, it's never too late. Like even me, I left it three decades. It all right, he died. It was too late to actually get justice, but it wasn't too late to get the message out there that you can be helped. And you know, victims aren't I hate the word victim, like I don't think that should be it shouldn't be a word for it because 
mentally it makes you feel like you can't now achieve goals in life. I mean, you know, all right, people bitch about the CWP thing, but at the end of the day, that was a goal that I always had, even as a kid. Like when I used to watch it on TV, I used to go, A, I want to do that. B, I want to actually do it. I want to actually set one up and do it. Um, And C, I want to see if I can actually, you know, put on an actual event. Like how hard can it be? Like the twat I found out. <laughs> but, you know, um, but I, you know, the goals that I I set in play, all right, whether they're good or bad, it's irrelevant. But I still did that and I still achieved that. And I don't give a shit whether people like it or not. That's why I'm still doing it in a way, is because that was always my goal in mind, was to carry on doing what saved me. Like I know it sounds a bit cliche, but and corny, but wrestling really did fucking save me. Like if I hadn't had all those videos. And I hadn't stayed in my room for so long. Yeah, people would go, well, that's a boring life. Yes, it is a boring life, but you didn't have the alternative that I had. Or you, maybe you did, I don't know. But it was either stay in my room and watch that and get swept away with the, the excitement of it all or live the fucking life that I was living, which was when I went through that fucking bedroom door, it was either get shouted at by your mum because she was at her last tether because of what he was doing to her. She was then doing it to us as well. Um Obviously, she's made up for it now, but, um, you know, she used to beat us up all the time if we were naughty. Never, like, just randomly. It was always if we're naughty, okay? Still wrong, but all right. Um, and then, you know, you used to get it all the time from your old man and everything. And it was just, at one point, everyone was just beating everyone up. <laughs> it was like, and I couldn't do anything about it because I was always the little, small, little hamster-sized kid. So it was like, mostly, and then all my other... Um, brothers they kind of like ran away at an early age and I was the only one left because A I didn't have anywhere to go and B I didn't have the balls so you know it's, it's kind of like that's why I stayed in my room and if it wasn't for wrestling I probably wouldn't be here right now Now that sounds a bit whatever but it's true I think I would have either gone that bloody mad with what happened and what I had built up inside of me that I'd have either done something stupid and ended up in prison which some victims do go down that path and um, or I would have just ended it on a one bit. So if it wasn't for that, then, you know, that's probably what would have happened. And that's why I'm so thankful and so grateful that I found something. And it, it wasn't just because it was wrestling. It could be anything, it, even if it's football or bloody rugby or whatever. I found something that I could relate to. And I wanted, you know, I, I looked at these guys and thought, you know, wow, these are like superheroes, but in real life, you know, Um and, that, and that's what kept my mind off of everything that was going on. The worst times for me was at like night time, like when the lights go out and, you know, you, you, you're told, you know, lights out at 10 o'clock or whatever, or, you know, it's a school night, so you're not allowed to watch anything past whatever. That was the worst time for me because school, you could kind of handle it. I mean, I was a tear away anyway, but um, night time was the worst. You shut your eyes and even now, like, you, you stop thinking and your body relaxes because you're supposed to be going to sleep and that's when sometimes this doesn't switch off and and then things start happening and you know I start getting flashbacks even now um I still get flashbacks so you know as much as you know the, the counsellors can say well you know the PTSD counselling you know that's what it's there for or, or counselling for the assault that took place that's what it's there for to make you better Sometimes they get it wrong because you never actually fully 
um, get better to the point where you actually forget about it. Like it's always in the back of your head. Um, it's how you deal with that and how you cope with that, which is what makes you either not fail or pass because it's, it's not like that, but um, makes you the person that you are now. Um, and I just think, you know, you can work it yourself and, and the, the support networks out there, especially now, it's ridiculous. There's so much support out there now compared to back when it happened, there was like hardly any. Um, and I just think, you know, if if one, this is what worked for me, it was like, if one, um, you know, form of treatment doesn't work, there's like however many, you know, there's probably like a hundred or, you know, thousands more that you can try that might actually work. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of, I'm waffling a bit, but that's kind of in a nutshell, like, you know, um, obviously the event that happened, I've kind of gone more into, I've probably said more to you two than I actually did like, to, the, to the last one I did and to anyone else. Um, obviously graphic detail, I don't need to, you can imagine, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go, well, step A to step, because that's not going to help anyone. Um, but yeah, but that that's kind of the backstory from, you know, before, during, and after, and then years later. So I'm just gonna have a swig of this because I've been Go for it. What what for you was the tipping point? Well, firstly, thank you so fucking much for sharing that because all of it, every single fucking step of it, because I can only imagine how shitting difficult it was. For you, what was the tipping point? to get that help to go to the GP and, and have that chat? I think it was, um, it was actually Mandy, to be fair. I, don't, I know she don't like me mentioning her, but I don't care. <laughs> it, it was actually her because I still remember, I actually remember it quite visually, actually. We were, we was on Portland and I met her, obviously, when her kids were younger. Um, so obviously I'm like stepdad of a boy and girl, and we was all we was all sat in the living room. We was watching EastEnders. I don't even fucking like stuff, but they all love it. So, um, and there was a scene in there. I can't remember who it was. It might have been I don't know, but it doesn't matter. There was a, a an assault scene in there that was not graphic, but it was enough for you to know as an adult what that person's doing. And I was looking at the ceiling, and I started welling up it just started coming out and I couldn't fucking stop it or anything. And after the kids went to bed, she sat on the sofa and said, like, what's going on? And I felt so comfortable with her. Like, we've had ups and downs and everything, but she's always been my, like, support network. Like, um, and I remember I just sat there and I just thought, you know what, fuck this, I've got to just go into detail to somebody. And I fully trusted her and I just went through the whole shebang, like, and I mean more than what I've just done with you guys. Like I went into bloody detail all that stuff. Um, and in a way, it actually felt like, like you know, some like weights had gone um, because I was physically telling someone like what happened. And we both had a massive cry, and then we had a cuddle about it. And then she said, "You need to go and speak to somebody because that actually just explains a shitload of why you've got such a short fuse and why." Um, you have no self-belief in yourself or self-confidence. And Nick's noticed this. I spoke to him about it before. Like the level, even now, like the level of 
and I've achieved a lot, but I still don't have any confidence, like at all. Um, and then, it, and it, it was her that persuaded me to actually go to the GP and actually talk about it. And and the first thing they do, like, I don't care if there's like, G, well, I don't know if there is, but like, if like a GP ever watches this, I don't give a shit because they get it fucking like wrong the first time because the first thing they'll do is go, you need pills. And that's what he did. Like he he said, take these pills, um, give it, I don't know what it was, like a month or whatever for it to kick in. And I'm like, the fuck? And then see what you like. And that was basically the first GP that I tried to explain. And he didn't even he didn't even allow me to speak about in detail what happened. He just went, oh, okay, um, yeah, you, you, you've got depression and anxiety and, and you need these pills to sort yourself out. And, that, and it kind of just ushered me out the door. And that completely put me off. Um, and then I left it a little while longer, started doing the pills and they didn't do anything. I, I, I didn't feel any, they didn't, they didn't help or they didn't, they didn't make me worse. I just, I just felt like I was popping them for the sake of it. Like I did, it didn't affect me. Like, and I was taking some strong ones and then minor ones and then back to the strong ones again. It was just, I just feel like I'm doing this for the sake of it. So I just stopped. Um, and it weren't until a little while longer that we, me and my wife actually sat down. And I said, look, that fucking GP, like, all they gave me was pills. And she was like, so why don't you ring, um, oh, what was the name of it? Not the Samaritans, but the, the the other one that's more local down. We, we've got one in Southampton where it's um, you can ring them and then they 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 call you in for like counselling sessions. I can't remember what they bloody called them. Oh, Steps to Wellbeing, absolutely brilliant, right? Fantastic. They are like the the best. Um, forget the GP, go to Steps to Wellbeing because the minute I'd done that, they called me in for one chat. I had the chat, and they instantly knew what to do. They arranged for the PTSD counselling side of it. They put me on that. And then I still had personal one-to-one counselling with the, the counsellor that they gave me. And I got more out of that than I did anything else. Um, they made me see things a bit more clearly. So that's it was all thanks to the to my wife, really, of why um, I actually plucked up the courage to go and speak to somebody. And then, obviously, the first GP put me off. And I thought, well, if it's going to be like this, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to bother. And then... Um, um, it was the counselling that actually got me to the stage where I could actually then talk about it. Like um, even later when I stopped doing the counselling, because you can only have so many months of um, steps and, and uh, counselling and that. And then um, and then that's what got me through everything and the support network. Because the one thing I was I was really proud of was once that um, BBC show came out, and that that was kind of on a fluke. Um, when that got aired, I was so scared. I think I spoke to Nick about this, and I said, "I'm fucking petrified that people are going to see me different." Like I don't know why. Like because it, it, you are the victim. Like even though I don't like the word, you are the victim. So like no one's going to like take the piss, and if they do, then fuck them. But I was petrified that people were going to either not believe me, or you know they were just going to take the piss or, or whatever. I was amazed with the level of people that were just messaging or ringing and you know people that like even me and nicks are like friends with you know the the minute it aired they were like ringing me going some some guys uh some guys and girls they were going it's happened to me too or some people were going 
that side of it didn't happen to me, but this did. Um, and it helped them to then go and seek help. And, you know, so you, it's got me to the stage now where I can now do things like this. And, you know, hopefully it will, even if it's just, like I said earlier, even if it just helps one person to try and, you know, change their path and not let the previous events ruin their future, then it's worth it. I hope that answer. It is. No, it it did very much so. I, I there's no fucking wrong answers to any of these questions, so don't you panic. Um, do you feel that it's changed? You mentioned before that you're a parent, and you're by the sounds of it, you are doing your best, which is all ever a, a parent can fucking do. Um, do you feel like? knowing you can get that out and knowing that you could, you've been able to unload it a bit, has that changed you as being a parent and to be more understanding of things? I'd like to say, yeah, but I still know I've got a long way to go on that front. Like I'm not, I am a proud man, but I'm, I'm not silly enough not to admit my faults. And we recently um, just discovered that my eight year olds now got autism. So um and I didn't understand what that was like I knew you know roughly what it meant but I didn't know what it meant where you have to go through it as like a parent or um you know an older sibling or whatever um and I still struggle with that like there's things that he does because I mean I wouldn't change him at all like he's he's my little mini me he's like complete mental die <laughs> but he's um he's hilarious as well but um sometimes he does go full on and because he doesn't understand um and and i do struggle like especially like obviously i'm, I'm working two jobs like you know since nix has known me i've been doing two jobs um and when you're shattered it's like you come home and all you want to do is just either have dinner and just chill out and that's it but obviously where he has doesn't get to see me that much obviously all he wants to do is get overly excited and either play for you or you know like do the eight-year-old boy thing um, and, and I know that obviously he will never know what happened with me. Um, I did admittedly, the, the stepchildren who I've always looked at as, as mine, because when I first met them, they were very young um, and their dad just wasn't around. And I brought them up. I helped to bring them up as they were mine. Um, and when they got a bit older, a lot older, um, they were still only teenagers, so technically probably wasn't the right move, but I felt like at the time it was. I actually sat them down one by one um, and explained, because they could see all of the me flipping outside of it, and, and I felt like I was either turning into my old man, which I really didn't want to do, or I was turning into, like, you know, just horrible and they needed to understand in my eyes, like why this was happening. And when I realized and understood with all the counseling and all the help and the therapy, and that, it made me realize why I was doing it. So I did sit down with them and I explained it. And I felt like at the time that brought us a lot closer together, which it did. Um, and with my eight year old, it's like, it, it does help in a way for you to overcome you know, events that happened and it does, it, I mean, it, it, it's only ever going to be a good thing. Like any counselling or any help that you go and get to try and, you know, not get over, but try and 
finally put it to bed like what went on and everything else it will only ever make you a better person like doing what i did this is why i do things like this now because doing what i did where i just locked it in a safe in back of my head and i threw the key away and, and i didn't let the skeletons out it will work for x amount of years which is what it did for me um at that one point something will blow the box will open and before you know it you're either flipping out or you're doing stuff to yourself or you're just you know you, you've just gone that shit fucking crazy which is what i ended up going um the support network is out there to get and and yeah it, it has made me i mean mandy's better at it than i am like i mean nobody's perfect but she is a hell of a lot better at the parenting side of it than i am but um i'm trying and that's that's all you can do so you know as that's said, all you can do yeah and by the sounds of it you'd, you'd trying really fucking hard and so those off days as long as you know you catch yourself and you know that it's happening i'm guessing that you've often thought right this is how i'm feeling today i need to calm it down before i see the kids yeah yeah so it does it happens so you're doing well you are doing well thank you It was like an eerie silence. I know, right? <laughs> it was, wasn't it? The awkward fuck silence there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything that, like, you know, from... I mean, is there anything you feel that should be in place that isn't right now to help people who have gone through anything that might be similar to what you've gone through or even beyond that? You know, like you've mentioned that it's not just about sexual assault, it's domestic abuse all these different things happen is there something in place that you would really champion that isn't currently in place um yeah that's that is a really good question but it's also one really hard to answer because there is a lot of things in play which we all know because you see it all the time on bloody adverts and um there is a big support network out there but it seems to be more nationwide rather than i'm this is one thing why i always pick local charities because i'm always about sort of you need to do stuff that's more local that's more accessible for people um a lot of even steps to be fair like a lot of people will go there and when you get used to it it's okay but the first time you go there it literally feels like it doesn't feel low, it, not so much local, but it doesn't feel like that sort of close knit sort of friends or family type vibe. Um, it feels very formal and that's what kind of always put me off. Um, I think if it was more of a laid back, um, sort of relaxed um, atmosphere and something more accessible because not not all people have like there's still people even in this day and age that don't have phones or they don't have internet or you know that they, they haven't got the courage to actually go um and make the appointment so i think if there was more accessible stuff um then i think that might be you know a, a, i mean i have actually thought about i think that's kind of why i, I did the whole bbc thing because i thought well you know i put my details out there and i thought you know what if, if if people actually want to get in touch with just me 
um, which is just me, not like some nationwide company or, you know, years of counselling or whatever, then I would then try and help them as best I could. And it, and it sort of worked. Like one person did get in touch where, um, you know, they had the same thing happen to them. Um, and I still sometimes, she was actually female, I still speak to her sometimes now, but um, it was hard for me because I'm not obviously trained. I'm only going through life experience um, of what happened to me. And it gives me the little bit of insight of how I can maybe help someone else. But um, I don't I don't feel like there's enough support where it matters. Um because you know, it, the minute you go to the police and everything, they'll they'll take your details. They'll they'll take a statement, especially if it was um, you know like child abuse or anything. And I've seen it when I worked in like probation services and that. You know, there's. I know this is probably going to come across as really wrong, but okay, it, it's just the way I feel about it. it. It's whether it's wrong or right, I don't know, but I feel like there's more. Not support. That's kind of like the wrong word, but there's more safety sort of features in play for the people that do it coming from like the probation side of it than there is for the people that have actually gone through it and that doesn't really make Ooh. sense but it's like i was quite baffled i won't go into detail but where this probation service was i could not get my fucking head around the fact that it was actually built and i mean spitting distance from people's houses where there were families and fucking kids and these and these people that are there because they've been in prison for say child abuse um they've been let out and they have to go and stay at a place like this for x amount of months or whatever to rehabilitate them back into society i don't think that works because there was people in that halfway house where it was supposed to be monitored and it's not um where they had secret phones they were they you know that so there was one one person in particular who was like banned from all social media because he was that bad. And yet he managed to get a phone and make a fake account and had fucking pictures on it and was talking to people on it. And that's how he got caught. And then the police would come and take them and then send them back to prison. I don't understand that method because to me, that's just a big merry-go-round. And at some point they'll fall off it and then they'll just get put back on it. Um I don't think there's enough in, you know, the government regulations and everything else to actually, and there definitely isn't enough um, support groups or, you know, networking that is more central to, to you. So, like, I'm not saying, oh, in every bloody town there should be, but there should. You know, in this day and age, there's, like, it's so populated with businesses and charities and you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's like, how many charities is there, like, in the UK alone? And and it's all like, um, you know, if, if that's it's great that everyone's doing that, but why, and there are charities out there for, for you know, um, abuse victims and everything, but I don't think there should be more sort of localised stuff so that people actually can get to it or they feel like they can, you know, go and it's a little bit less sort of, because I felt, when I first went, I felt this is kind of like a doctor-type vibe, and it, I didn't like it. It, it was too formal. Um, totally didn't answer your question then, but um, I don't, yeah, it's it's a tricky one, because it's like, in this day and age, you'd think there'd be, you know, there'd be 
shitloads of support networks out there for people and it'd be just click fingers and hey presto there you go <laughs> but unfortunately it doesn't work like that and I think also where obviously actually this might answer it a little bit because where I used to work at the hospital as well even though I was in the security but we had to deal with a lot of mental health patients um and I used to talk to them like they were humans whereas a lot of the other people didn't um and there was this one person in particular that she was quite young um she'd been through similar traumatic experience which is what made her go the way that she went um and a lot of people just thought she was like the boy who cried wolf and just kept making it up and stuff like every time she would go there she would get put through the system and then they'd obviously mentally assess her if they feel like she lacks capacity they would then or he or whatever they would then arrange for a bed somewhere wherever um and they'd go there and you'd think they'd get the treatment and you would see that person again. I was at that hospital for about three, I think three and a half, nearly four years, I think. And I used to see the same people all the time because either, and now this is a mental health patient that said to me, who is obviously young, she had mental health problems. She was like younger than what she, her actual age limit was. She said, um, this whole system is like getting on a roundabout that doesn't stop she said it's like you start here where you come to the hospital and get treated you get given a bed you go around to here and then you get you know whatever from there i don't know what went on over there because i never worked on them but then they get let you out without the support after and then they take relapses and they go back to here again and then when they come back to the hospital it starts all over again and it's just like a big swirly roundabout there's not enough um you know, good sort of professional health. And I know it's hard because, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, they're stretched. Everyone's stretched. You know, the, the NHS system is stretched. The, the police system is stretched. The fire brigade is stretched. You know, everyone is stretched to their limit. But I just think if there was more localised support, help for people, you know, even just stupid, like just people like me or, you know, that actually gone through it, and and knows what it's like and knows how that person's feeling i obviously with two jobs and not a lot of time and doing shows in between and whatever if somebody got in contact with me via social media and said look I, you know sorry to bother you whatever i've been through the same thing blah 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 blah, blah i wouldn't shrug that person off it's kind of why i started doing things like this like i would then go right okay well this is what we need to do and i would do anything to help that person not you know go down the wrong path or not let it affect them or whatever um if there was more people that actually and it also goes on the other foot if there was more people that you know actually came out and spoke about things that happened to them then they would be able to get the support networking there's not there, there's a i'm not saying there isn't but there's people out there that have had it done to them or they've gone through it and they just they never unearth it because they think in their head that if I lock it away and then just don't talk about it, it either never happened or I'll get better. That would only go for so many years. Like it, like with me, that would only go so far and then something happened and without you even. And when I, when I had mine, nothing drastic really happened. It was just one particular day. I just completely snapped and it, and it all came out, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a difficult question to ask, but yeah, I do feel like there should be a lot more, 
you know, um, support for people um, to sort of guide them in the right sort of direction and hopefully help them. Um, it seems like it's a bit of a catch-22 with things like that. Mm. Not enough people come out, so there isn't enough they don't get enough money to help out with those people that do need the help. So therefore people don't really come out about it because there's no support for them. And because of that, there's no money to, and it, it just seems to, it seems like it's going to go around in circles for it. Yeah, completely. And I think that's the key issue is people need to know that if you're a victim of, you know, abuse or child abuse or, um, you know, whatever type of, it could be just verbal. I mean, my idea was, and, and I look at her sometimes and I just think, why? Like, we, we had this conversation not so long ago. Because um, even, and this is the biggest thing, like, when it happened, like, when I kept it quiet for over three decades, I didn't even tell my mum. Like, and I felt really bad, actually, because she found, and this is where I went wrong, because I should have, had the conversation I still as an adult I could not bring myself to sit there even though she's on her own now and she's trying to make things right for the things that she did um I couldn't bring myself to sit there and actually have that conversation because the scaredness come out and the lack of confidence came out and she found out and this is really wrong but we've spoke about it like after but she found out when that BBC interview went out and that's where I feel guilty because I should have sat down and spoke to her and not had her see it on national TV. Um, she understands why I didn't tell her um, because I said, you know, at the end of the day, she's never been, um, she's always like, as she's got older, she's got like loads of medical conditions and stuff. And, you know, I just said, I didn't want to hurt you and have you blame yourself for not picking up on it at the time and not, um, and not, um, you know, seeing what went on and kind of like, I don't know whether she she may have had an inkling, I don't know, she may have just brushed it off because I said I got beat up, but, um, you know, we, we've had conversations about it after. Um, but then it made me feel worse in a way because then she started feeling like it was her fault and she felt guilty and, you know, the fact that she let him into the house and, you know, that type of stuff. And it's like... I have to now look at this not from my own kind of perspective, but how a parent would feel like if they're because no matter I get it now, but no matter how old you are, like you know, you could be in your fifties and you know your mum's always going to be your mum and she's always going to treat you as like the youngest. Um, I then have to look at it from her eyes and think, actually, that's like you know, it must be really mortifying for her knowing that it happened and there was fuck all she could do about it because she didn't know about it. This is where I keep reiterating the same thing. Like you have to talk to someone because if you don't talk to anyone, no one's ever going to know, which means no one is going to be out there to help you. That's where I went wrong. You know, like three decades is a long bloody time to keep things quiet. Um, and maybe had I spoke to someone, like even on that day, things might have been different, you know, I might have got the support that I needed sooner and I might not even have suffered with the PTSD side of it and the, the mental anguish and stuff like that, but you don't think of that sort of stuff at the time. So 
I think the key factor is like the more victims that come out and speak about it and put the wheels in motion to get the help that they need, it's only going to do better, isn't it? So, I mean, that's like the main thing, anyway. Very much so. And now, with regards to the the PTSD, where, what do you do to calm yourselves down in that situation? Because I mean, there'll be people out there who are watching it who'll think I genuinely have that and I don't know what to do with myself. Is there anything that you do specifically? I normally ring Nick's. So what we'll do at the end of the at the end of the podcast, we'll just give you Nick's phone number <laughs> and just give that fucker a ring. Um, I'm not, I never sleep, so why not? <laughs> like, not sure, why not? Like nocturnal. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the question again? <laughs> oh yeah. What, what do you do to calm yourself down? Yeah. To be fair, it's. I mean, it, it's different. It depends on the situation. If it's a full-on nightmare that I don't even know is happening, and if it's if I'm going through a lot of stress, which people don't know but a lot of my life is built around stressful situations and anxiety things and everything else um it will just happen randomly like oh oh my missus will wake me up during the night because i'm punching the air or i'm screaming or um and the only thing that helps in that situation is obviously her doing the great wife thing and kind of like just holding you and just taking deep breaths and getting you to calm down, which after, you know, a few minutes it's done. Um, that side of it is fine. You can, you can do that. Um, the worst one for me is if it's like everyday life, you know, or if it's like your kids are doing your head in or, you know, we've all been there. Like you just go, like, shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, if it's anything like that, the only thing that, helps me is removing myself from that situation for a brief moment of time and this is something that the PTSD counsellor said like um this is why back in the day when I used to have always had motorbikes I used to just go for a ride and like that would like they always say you shouldn't ride or drive angry but I don't know about driving but back when I had the motorbikes and that I used to just especially in Weymouth it was it was if it's like a nice day you could just cruise and you know, I used to end up in bloody like um, Wareham and Lyme Regis and West Bay and like places that were like an hour away. Um, and by the time I come back, I'm sorted. Um, you know, you can go for walks. I mean, uh, people are going, oh, go for walks is boring. It's like, well, it's not. If you go, if, if you're just walking down the street and all you're seeing is dog shit and car fumes and people shouting and bawling, then no, you're not going to get any help. If you go, you know, to like, Everywhere's got a rural place you can go to, or it's like a nature place, or it's like you know, just new forest or anywhere, it doesn't matter. Go for a brisk walk and just don't think, just breathe in the air, take in the atmosphere, and then by the time you go back, either one or two things happen, you're either too shattered and you haven't got the energy to be stressed out anymore, or it relaxes you to the point where you're now calmer. If you can hear that noise, by the way, it's my Lippman's guinea pigs right behind me, ignoring the shit out of the cage. Shut up. <laughs> um, they're like right down there. <laughs> um, 
but for me it, it's the one thing that works is just remove myself from the situation like if, if it's everyday life just take five minutes or ten minutes out um mandy's pretty good she she knows when i'm getting to that point where it's starting to take effect and she'll just tell me to piss off <laughs> and then i'll just go off and like when i come back i'm fine but yeah um keeping yourself active as well that's that's you know that's another reason why i've gone back to the gym again um and i sometimes i have to force myself to do that because you know i'm driving all day um doing like midday job and then you know the weekends on I'm, I'm sort of doing my, my door work and that and it's like a sunday's like really my only off day like literally that's it and in the evenings now it's like um you know, at like eight, nine o'clock, I'll go to the gym flight, even if I just do an hour, like, you know, I'll just go and then come back, have a shower and then go to bed. Um, you have to make time. Like, that's the key thing. Like, I don't care if, because I get really annoyed with people that me and Mix had this conversation the other day, I think, actually, that people go like, oh, I just don't have time. And like, well, okay, no, I get it, but there's always time to do something for you like there, there always is you have to create that time you have to make that time like you know i mean i work six days a week i still find enough time to fit everything in and you have to be willing and able to do that because it's going to benefit you in the long run so you, you know if there's somebody that's got a hobby or something I, I told somebody this um back um when i did the bbc one they were like what well, how do you get around the fact that you're just full of hatred and i'm like get a hobby like I don't want to be rude I and mean, it sounds a bit stupid but just literally get a hobby that you're really into and just do that and make a go of it out of that because while you're doing that because you like doing it it could be anything it could be fucking knitting you know what I mean it don't really matter because you like doing it you'll wind away loads of hours I wish I was into things like reading and stuff like that but unless it's something I'm really into I can't just do you know my mum where she is quite lonely, like she'll she gets anxiety attacks and stuff, but she'll just pick up a book like any old shit. Like it doesn't matter what it is, she'll just pick up anything and just start reading. I can't do that. I can only do it if it's something I'm really into. Like I can pick up an autobiography of one of my favourite wrestlers or whatever, and I'll read the whole thing and it's you know happy days. I can't pick up just like a random book and just start reading it and going, no, that was actually really good. Because obviously when the dyslexia side of it, I struggle to understand a lot of what the words mean. Um I'd rather watch a film because then I ain't got to really think about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, take yourself out of the situation for a brief moment of time to, to, you know, settle everything down. And then you go back in and you see things in a bit of a different light. Um, I, I do that still to this day. Like if I don't understand, um, like either... Like, say you're having an argument or whatever, like, you know, with your missus or, you know, your, your kid's doing your head in and you won't listen to you or whatever. I'll, to them, it looks like you're just storming off, like, to another room and just being a dickhead and whatever. It's not. It's, it, yes, it's storming off in a bit of a strop, but it's being in a different room and away from the stressful situation that was making you stressed and angry at the time. And then by the time you've took, like, say, 20 minutes or half an hour, just by yourself then you can then go back and go do you know what it was actually me i'm sorry and you know you get on with shit and that's how i deal with the main part of the ptsd now like obviously the nightmare side of it i can't really have any control over that. um 
but yeah it's it's i would like to get to the point where nothing triggers what happened you know like the, i seem to have a lot of triggers lately um i don't know whether that's just because i'm more stressed lately or whatever but it's like before i could you see it on the news or you'll read about it or whatever and you know it never used to really bother me i used to be like okay yeah, fine um but now it's starting to like where it's coming out a lot more now especially with like celebrities and stuff like you're always there's always something on the news isn't there about you know this person's been done for something you did 30 years ago or whatever um sometimes that still gets to you do you know what i mean it's like you know this whole thing with like cornfield and that you know i'm, I'm like 40 years old i still physically cannot stand in front of one like i mean i thought about doing the whole what do they call it um like immersion therapy and things yeah, they're like hypnotherapy or whatever it is, but mm. I just, you know, that's not, so I just, I mean, I'm quite lucky because where I live is quite like a main city, so there's there's not really many cornfields to worry about, so, um, but yeah, it, it does sometimes affect you, you know, especially if you go on holiday and stuff and you're in like a rural area and, you know, you see one, you kind of, I mean, I remember we went, we went, I can't remember, oh, we went to Wales um, not so long ago. And as we were driving, literally, I looked to the left and I was just like, <laughs> there was just this, like, just acres and acres of fucking cornfields and it just sparked a trigger straight away. And I then, mm-hmm. but because I was driving, it took my mind off of it because I just tunnel vision, like, straight ahead of me and didn't, didn't think of anything else. Had I been in a passenger seat, it probably would have been a lot worse because I would have been, even though I know mentally I shouldn't be looking at it, I wouldn't have been able to have physically took my head away from it. And then I would have started thinking about everything again. And then it just would have ruined the whole point of going away. So, yeah, I think, you know, what works is to remove yourself. Sometimes. <laughs> um, it's a good answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I know you're a bit pressed for time, bud. Obviously, we can't keep you up all night. Um, but uh, I, I didn't know. Do we have any questions? Um, not from the the general public, no. Nothing at all. Sure. No. Yeah. Well, there's That's only the one person that usually asks questions, and he's fucking here. Exactly. Well, Frankie T told me that he'd send questions in. That's why I asked. So he's a mark. Yeah, that no, he hasn't. Well, he's a fucking Frank sweaty man. baboon, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> not yeah, even an impressive one. Uh, baboons man. are impressive physically. Like he's not impressive, is he? Like, to be honest. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, tell a lie. Whilst we've been on, he's messaged. There you go. Um, here we go. So uh, Frankie asks, um, what made it uh, what made it difficult for you to come forward? Which I think we've... we've yeah, you've covered that, haven't you? So. Yeah. yeah. Um, what suggestions do you have to make it safer for victim survivors to come forward? That's a really good question. That's a good question. Um, I think kind of what we um, went over earlier, like if there was a stronger sort of bigger support network rather than individual, um, because if you notice, there's always like individual support networks for that individual um, thing that's happened. But Mm -hmm. in my case, it was like multiple things, um, which kind of added to the PTSD. So it wasn't just 
the you know assault side of it it was the the parents and the the upbringing and everything else um so yeah i think if there's more like if there's more support for the beginning side of it and to be taken seriously because that's one thing i noticed when i went through the process it was a long fucking process and and it is like especially the ptsd side of it like they say it's like a 16 step program which is basically like 16 meetings um and they're like an hour um meeting at a time but th there's like you know it could be like a month gap before your next one or like two or three week gap and by the time you go back to them what i found was a lot of the time they were just reiterating like what you'd done on the last one um or with one of the counselors i went to they were more concerned with what's going on now um which is why i really didn't get on well with her because you know i mean she's probably a nice person but she was more like so what's been happening lately it's like well i don't really give a shit about what's happened lately because that's not what i'm here for i'm here for why what happened and it wasn't until i think i was kind of like nearly at the end of it when they actually sat down and said right go through what happened and there must be a reason of why they do it like that. But to me, that just seems really stupid because you're like prolonging actually talking to someone about like details about what happened. I think if you do that at the beginning, well, not right at the first, you know, meeting, but within a certain amount of time, surely that builds up your own confidence to actually like go through it um, in more depth as time goes on. I think um, a lot of it was like you know so what's been happening from the last time we met to this time and it's like well and then by the time you've gone through all that the hour's done and they're booting out the door so I, I think there needs to be better um support networking for actually going through steps uh, like, like what we've done like you know step by step like before the event and after like there, there don't seem to be a lot of that like there's not a lot of talking about the build-up of why it happened because then you kind of answer your own questions, like, and they don't really need to reiterate it because you've kind of done it yourself, if you know what I mean. Mm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it does very much so. Um, he also asks, what services, resources, and people have helped you in your recovery? Um, obviously, steps to well-being were a were a big part of the help. To be fair, I'd, I'd recommend going and seeing them. Um. And also, to be fair, I've, I've got to give it to them. Like, the way that they did it, um, when um, the guy from the... Obviously, I don't know if I can say his name, but when the guy from the BBC actually approached me and, and you know, with, I, actually, I actually approached him about doing that show off of something that was completely non-related from work. Um, we was all striking, <laughs> like... And I just I did an interview for for the job, and then um, when we actually sat down and went through it, he actually said, "This is relatable to to him personally." And then he then he's still to this day a friend of mine now. Um, and the presenter of it, he was so they could have they could have done it, and they could have they could have not done it in the way that they did. Like they were very helpful. They were. You know that he came out to my house and was very mindful about what was around and um you know we can't show this or we can't say this or whatever um obviously what got more interested was the whole wrestling thing because it's 
it's it's an unusual thing for people to be doing um and yeah it, it was that was the start of it and then from that um i can't remember the guy's name i, I don't want to say his ringmate because i don't like doing that but there was another one that um i was put in contact with i mean it was called 1310 was it or something like that um and i've still got the the video of it that he sent me and he approached me um guy named joe and literally he was doing a sort of like real life documentary about um x amount of people men and women that had been through similar traumatic experiences and it, that was that was unbelievable and very overwhelming like we went to his house and it was, it was quite well done you know you sit in front of a green screen and the guy's got a camera and then they ask you questions and they kind of interview you and each one of, and I was the only bloke like that was what I felt was a bit disappointed in a way not for any I just felt like if there was like half and half it would have made me feel better because then I would have felt like maybe blokes are listening because I don't think they do like I mean we <laughs> generally blokes don't listen um but um, I say that again? yeah exactly <laughs> I'll give you that <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I'm glad you got that. There's always one, isn't there? Um, it's always him, yeah. Yeah, it has to be me. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, you know, and that, and that was another one that I did that was similar to the BBC one, where you know they would talk about what you've been through, and that's where I met one of the one of the the, the women that had been a victim, and she was telling me her story, and I completely broke down when she was telling me her story because I thought mine was bad, but. I did. the thing she was telling me I didn't think was even possible for you know somebody to to go through um and then you know she would then message me every now and again when she's on a downer um but she she wanted the help because she went she felt like she went down the wrong path and I went there's never a wrong path it's just the path that you choose that helps you but her path that was gonna achieve what was going to help her in the long run wouldn't and this is what i try getting through to her like she turned to alcoholism um i don't know if that's the right word or um she was basically doing drugs drinking every minute um and i said look and it, and it, she was doing all of that to literally kill the pain that she was still going through through what happened and it wasn't until um she literally had nothing and you know and she don't live nowhere near me so i couldn't even physically help her um I just said to her, like, what do you want? And she was like, what do you mean? And I went, what do you want? Like, what do you want out of your life? And she went, well, I know I want to do better. And I said, there's your answer. Stop listening to other people. Stop listening to, you know, the kind of the demon on your shoulder saying, you know, do these drugs and drink all of this and, you know, because it will kill the pain and kill your mind of what went on. I said, you need to you need to kind of fight the conversation about it all to be able to get through it the other side, which is what I did. Um, but you, you, you're never a hundred percent killed. And until you re realize, <clears throat> until you realize that you can only then plan what you want to do moving forward. So I said, the path you're going down right now is only going to do one thing. It's, it's going to kill you because you can't keep doing that at your age um without it affecting you physically i said 
stop all of that, go and get the help and the treatment for the alcohol and the drugs and everything else. Then, because that's more serious at the moment, because that's what's physically going to harm you. Um, once you've got that nipped in the bud, then you then start the process of going through the mental side of it. And it's just reiterating to people that it's not a quick fix. Like, it's not. I mean, th this is what's so messed up, is that the act of what happened, even to me, wasn't that long in, in sort of minutes, if you know what I mean. Um, but, you know, the process of trying to get through that takes years. And, and I'm still fighting it now, even at my age, you know, and it happened, you know, X amount of years ago, but the process is a long and windy process. But at some point you will get to the point where, and this is what I said to her, that you will get to that stage where it's not now affecting you as much and you can live everyday life and you can be who you want to be and you can do what you want to do. Um, so, yeah. Come on. Well, thanks for that, Frankie, as well. Um, Nix, is there anything you want to ask? No, not really. Um, no, just very grateful that you uh, spend that amount of time talking about it. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's not... It's not too much. Yeah, they, you know, it's... Hopefully it's provided some sort of closure or therapy for you at least, mate. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just incredibly thankful that you uh, gave us your time as always, bud. Um, Same. Yeah, there's always there's always a space for conversation. I think anyone watching, um, myself included, who have been through this kind of stuff, it's uh it's you know, it's important that you speak to people. Um I'm very much I echo what Robbie said about the whole uh victim thing. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you've been a victim in the moment, but it's important that you don't um you, you don't want to be a victim your whole life. You just don't. Like, I, I don't like the word either. I don't like being called a, a victim. Like survivor is a good word because mm. that's what you're doing. You're yeah. just surviving. And through surviving, you can then go on and live a really healthy life. Um, it's important to yourself, not to anybody else, to yourself that you find strength uh, in being a survivor, not a victim. That's just my personal opinion. I understand it's very difficult. And for some people, it takes a lot longer to get to that point. You know, I was very lucky found a lot of strength early on um some people don't it takes a long time but you have to find it eventually you know you should not allow the beauty of what is your gift of life to be ruined existentially uh for the remainder of your time here by that unfortunate incident so yeah um like we say we'll leave numbers um contact details things of that uh, nature if you're really affected by anything or you feel like this has kind of helped you know, boost your sort of strength to speak to the right people and that will make sure there's plenty of details of people you can contact. Um anything you want to add, Mark? Um just so the the charity that so the organization, sorry, that 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 Robbie was talking about, um they do have a website, steps to wellbeing.co.uk if you are around that area. Um if you're not, do go to the NHS website and there is a lot of stuff on there for anyone. Yeah. that needs that um one question i've got before we go robbie um and a lot of people are genuinely thinking this um what is your best one of films <laughs> what's my best one what's your best one of films what was my best film yeah oh 
I, I, I heard you say one of. I was like, um, mm-hmm. are we talking overall or sort of childhood movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, best, best one, best up there as What's the greatest the movie of all time. Yeah, he just asked it in a really northern way. <laughs> it, it's can, can I can I do like my my fave five? Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, of course you fucking okay. can. So, the Goonies, <laughs> beautiful, which I grew up watching. There's go figure this one. There's there's a film called Stone Cold. And if you've never seen it, watch it. It is, oh my god, it's unbelievable. Um, what's the name of that um, American footballer that was like in Longest Yard? Is it not the not Bob the, the, the the American footballer? He's quite well well famous American footballer. It was in Longest Yard as well. But he's one of the guys. Which one? The modern Longest Yard or the original? No, the modern one with Adam Sandler. Uh oh my god, there was quite a few American footballers yeah. in that one there. Um. That's yeah, no. oh, I can't remember any. But if you, if you, if you um see, I I managed to find it after years on DVD. It it's basically um it's a biker film. Like I went through years of just worshiping biker films, um, and it's this um guy that's like an FBI agent, and he goes undercover in this like massive Hell's Angels gang where they're like killing people left right and But it's I'm not selling it very well, but it's called Stone Cold. But it's the fucking greatest film ever. Um, so yeah, so there's Goonies that one, and then Labyrinth is my like go-to film ever. Like if I had to like if I was gonna die tomorrow and they say you can have one film, it will be Labyrinth. Wow. So there you go. Good answer. It's a good answer. Um, one of my favourite bits about this whole thing. So this has been an amazing chat. So thank you so much, Robbie, for doing this. Thank um, you for having me on. Genuinely cannot describe. To you how amazing a person you are for just coming on this and talking to us one of my favorite bits of this podcast though was just when i asked the question about the film was nix's face of going oh you fucking prick i'm so used to it now mark's one of those guys like he's, he's amazing like it doesn't matter what doesn't matter what the context of the moment is like you know like for, when you consider all the you know the deep and the emotional traumatic things that we spoke about and he opens it up by talking about you know the whole you know, it's just like it's just mark in a nutshell unfortunately but we luckily we We've can't do it both ways because he's a giant egg <laughs> so it's all good it's all right mate he calls me everyone's say, dead dave no yeah, yeah less said about goonies the better i think <laughs> um but yeah no it's uh yeah, I yeah, that's the thing. Like, hopefully, people have um, no, they won't have enjoyed it, and I don't want them to enjoy it. But I hope they found solace or information or education or a form of strength in what they've heard tonight. That's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to come back on, mate, and talk about something a little bit more lighter, if you want to come back on and share your wrestling journey, hey, more than welcome. Again, more than welcome. Absolutely, like you know, it's not it I'm doesn't have to be. Well, yeah, but no, it's you, we genuinely appreciate you. You're an amazing human being. Thank you so much for coming on with us. If anyone out there is affected, as I said, go to the NHS website. There's a lot of things on there. Um, if you want to just chat to us, 
email us silentdeathmachine at gmail.com um where you can talk to us if you want to have something said on the podcast if you want to open up a bit on there we're more than welcome to say it on here if you just want someone to reply to you and say that you're fine and you're doing all right then we'll do that as well um all of it will be anonymous if you do need it one big thing i will say from my point of view is if you are out there thinking that something is wrong with you you're not you are fine and you're doing really well so well done and to you, Robbie, again, as I say, thank you very much. Thank you. Next, I'll let you close it off, because otherwise I'll... Why? <laughs> Why? What's the matter, mate? You're not capable of closing a podcast. I'm capable of it, but you know what I'll do. I'll well, we know how our up. endings normally work. Um, yeah, no, one thing, one thing I will say before we wrap it up is I get loads of people coming up to me saying, like, they like the podcast or, oh, they wish they could send something in we're not gonna like throw your name out there if you don't want to it's anonymous and things like that and like you know what like don't tell me how you want to send stuff into the pod just fucking do it or shut up (laughs) yes and if you don't want if you don't want genuinely if you think for a second that we're gonna say your name or if you're worried about anything like that the beginning of the email just say i want this to be anonymous yeah you don't even send it by the bottom we're not going to say your email address you're not going to say the name that comes on the email we will just say we have had an email and we will read it if you want us to um we're not yeah we're not those type of people we're dickheads but we're not that bad but also just on a a sort of end note that people like all our friends and you know people that know all three of us guys please start sharing this you know i'm not just saying this to plug this because i'm on it but it, I, I do it all the time like this is so much of a revelation like this is what I said to you next the other day I've, I've said to my wife as well like it's so refreshing that it's a podcast that and I know there's loads out there but um you know you always talk about present day you know present day sorry um life situations and at the moment where it is bleak and fucking, you know, life's just moody all the time at the moment with like, you know, either worrying about finances or worrying about whatever. But this is like people's chance to have like a bit of fun, take their mind out of the mundane, you know, part of life and just talk about, even if you just want to talk about shit, it doesn't matter. Like you, this is why I, I watch all the time because it's, it's, I keep saying like refreshing, but it is. This is like the only really podcast that I will listen to now that's non-wrestling related because, you know, you talk about realism, you talk about real events or you talk about real things that's happening and, you know, you put a different spin on it. And even though you two don't always agree on a lot of it, um, you know, that's fun to to watch the two different opinions um, sort of battling out type thing. But it's done in jest. It's never done in like a horrible way. And you know like especially me and nick's like we know so many and i'm sure mark you do as well like we know so many people like within the business and that's kind of like the platform of getting it out there and all they got they spend so much time on fucking social media like sharing their own shit or sharing like you know shows or whatever stop doing that and just take two seconds to share the silent and death machine podcast that's all they got to do is to share it and subscribe to it because it is you know, I, I said this before I even, you know, came on. Like the first show I watched, I was blown away by it because you're doing great work and you should have shitloads more subscribers than you know what you have, and you should 
people should be sharing it all over the place. So if you're not fucking sharing it, do it. <laughs> Thanks, man. That means a lot. Yeah, don't get me started on people who like, you know, won't share anyone's shit, but I say they have to share 15 <clears throat> fucking videos of cats being dumped in a bin, but they don't want to share someone's actual hard work. Fuck off. Now, those yeah. people drive me mad. Absolutely mad. I've had this... I don't know. Have you ever tried to pick have you ever tried to pick up a cat that doesn't want to be picked up? It's gonna be fucking hard to put that fucker in a bin. No, no normally I just kill them first. No need for that. What do you mean, no need for that? Cats are shit. No, they're not. I'm not having oh, this fucking argument with course, you again. No, of course, yeah, but you're in Morecambe. That's like an area of destitution and misery. You need something to keep yourself busy, so the cat probably helps. Like The cat probably has better status than you do. Like probably easier for a cat to get a mortgage. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Like my wife, my cat fucked off. <laughs> that might be the funniest thing I've ever heard you say in my life. I uh... Genuinely, I right. This is going to be a fucking bugbear of mine, right? Yeah. I don't like to to you know kind of shit on my ex because I really like her. We really got on well. We're we're best friends. We still co-parent. It's just one of those things that it didn't work out. But when we were together, she said she wanted a cat. I said we're not getting a cat yet. She went, no, we need a cat. I said we don't need a cat. We need a cat. I said right. I'll go up and see the cat. We went up and saw the cat. I said, yeah, it's a nice cat. She goes, right. And then basically emotionally emotionally blackmailed me into getting this fucking cat, right? And I thought, right, we've got the cat. It'll shut the fuck up. Then she said, oh, I've seen another cat on there that's the brother of the one we've got. I went, oh, really? That's nice. We're not getting another fucking cat. So you would if you loved me. Well, I do love you, and we're not getting another fucking cat. I come home one day and there's another fucking cat in my house, right? And then a year later, she fucks off. And then literally two years later, both of the cats fuck off as well. They just what, piss off that? to other people's houses. No, what, they go to other left. people's houses. You, know I mean? yeah. you make an argument for me. Your cats up and left you. They didn't. It's not like somebody came around and said, it's not like your ex came around and said, I'll have the cats. Literally what happened here is your cats went, you're that much of a dickhead, we're leaving. We're going to rock up at the neighbours or whatever it might be. So now you... Yeah, it's, it says... Up and fucked off. Imagine what it's like for me having to sit here for two hours every week listening to this bell cheese. Looking like a fucking half-dressed baby bell giving it the larger. Right? Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. There he goes. Off that has to be the best description ever. Humbling. I feel like a really warped marriage guidance counsellor right now. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the average workings I of our podcast. It here and here. It's like, okay. <laughs> People need a distraction. They've had too much seriousness from us, I think. So, you know, Very but true. I just, I cannot believe your cat. I want to delve into that next week. I want, I want full details as to how your cats just decided one day. Do you know what? Fuck off. <laughs> just left. That's incredible. It's like anything else. It's like any other woman, which is, well, my first one anyway. I think my other one got stolen. But my first one was basically just given tuna. They were given some other meat and they fucked off, which says everything you need to know about women. Are they both female cats? 
Uh, the first one was. The other one wasn't. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think the male one got nabbed. That's depressing, no, isn't it? Told you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. I'm basically unlovable. She's just get a dog like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, but, they're you know, they are, but... They're the dog just, won't fuck off, though. Yeah. No, but they're a bit fucking needy, eh? Well, so is a cat. Every time to... you sit on the fucking sofa, So are you. No, but I'm happy with that. They'll just, they'll jump on and they'll just sit there and that's fine. But I mean, like, I've got two kids. They're fucking needy enough as it is. I'm not going to have a third one. Fair. Can't really argue yeah. that. <laughs> I'm trying to work out what I want less, kids or cats. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 I both shouldn't of them... have either, to be fair. Yeah, okay. see, even you know. Yeah, both of them are shit. Both of them are shit. Yeah. Both of them shit in trays. It's unnecessary. I don't even think you should have, like, a goldfish or anything, because fucking hell. <laughs> Nah, can't be trusted. Too psychopathic, mate. Just a massive sociopath. I'll just fucking murder everything inside. I don't care. So, yeah. Anyway, hopefully you've enjoyed the podcast. He'll just look at them and go, fucking stop judging me. <laughs> I get I get you judging me every week. I don't need animals in here judging me, do That's why dogs are great. Yeah, they true. don't judge. They're loyal. Unlike your ex. <laughs> fucking true. <laughs> Can help you, right? Wham! Right, right. not. If you are right, if you are watching, you know I love you, but you are a dickhead. That actually hurt me, and I don't even know. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, Nick's is repping on somebody else." I'm well happy. <laughs> that's the that's why you love this podcast so much because I found myself a new punching bag. <laughs> yeah, and then I go back to the wrestle plug if I want a bit of yeah, 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 exactly. It's fucking WrestleBlog's yeah. dying a death at the moment because Cameron Anderson can't be asked to turn up for work, the lazy little fuck. Uh, what a cunt. Yeah, but what, you watch him all beg for a gig at WrestleBlog Pro. You watch him. Oh, yeah. Little oh, rats. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Tanvir in the uh, the uh, toaster in the bath match. That'd be good stuff. I mean, I'd watch it. <laughs> I wouldn't be happy about it, but I'd Come watch on. it. Let's, let's not act like we're not all aroused by the prospect. Oh, yeah. What of Tanvir in a bath? Oh, of course. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be. I'll be honest with you. Six months ago, I'd have gone no. Now, mm, yeah. I think I've got pretty bad over the last six months, hasn't it? Fucking hell. <laughs> six months ago, you know, he had standards. Now he's like, yeah, fuck it, I'll take it. <laughs> Tanvir in a bath, mate. It's been, okay. mate. It's been nearly four years. Jesus Christ. Swear to God, the next one that even looks at it is getting a fucking makeover. They're going to end up looking like a Jackson Pollock, aren't they? No, they're not. Like they're a plaster like radio. No, they're, they're not. It's not. They're just going to look like an iced bun. She's going to fucking cover the face. Ay, ay, ay. Mm.